Hello, and welcome to the Conrad Life Report, episode four. Again, from our little home in Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn. It is a chilly Friday morning. I don't know. Um, I don't. I haven't tested to see if it actually is as cold as my devices indicate it is. But um, yeah, doing this on early Friday morning because I was uh, actually busy last night and was too tired when I came home to do this recording. So decided to get up early and um, and do it in the morning. So it's kind of a different vibe to do it in the morning. Although I guess everything kind of looks the same and it's dark out. Um, so anyway, welcome to um, episode four. It's uh, it's been an, been a good week. Uh, the last few days sort of flew by. Went to two great concerts um, this week, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, first thing I wanted to discuss was the uh, the cover image for this podcast, the um, album art, so to speak. Um, excuse me, I'm going to cough here. So I think that mute button actually worked. Anyway, um, so the photograph, you know, I think I've mentioned before, it was taken by me um, on the night of one of our big blizzards a couple years ago, um, walking down, walking north on Court Street um, in Cowell Hill, Brooklyn. Anyway, my friend Mark Graham, aka at Uncle Grambo, suggested that I swap out the marquee reading Cobble Hill Cinemas and insert Conrad Life Report. So if I can track down a friend that can do that for me. Maybe there'll be a subtle new cover image coming soon, but that was a great idea. Thanks, Mark. Um, cause we'll start off with books. So, uh, last week I read dreaming the Beatles by Rob Sheffield. I think I talked about dear prudence last week cause I'd gone through the first 30 pages or so. It's a great book. It's a collection of short essays about the Beatles no real chronological order. Uh, Sheffield, of course, has has a sort of framework that he uses. And the first chapter begins with essentially their breakup. And he, he calls that the beginning, uh, capital B, of the story because uh, he rightly observes that from 1970 on, from the point of the breakup of the Beatles onward, their stardom grew even larger. They've just remained this huge presence in, in pop culture. They're, they're one of the few uh, elements of the old mono culture that I think have successfully crossed over as much as they can into our new um, disheveled and disconnected culture, internet culture, digital culture that we have today. But uh, the, the chapters in Dreaming the Beatles, very short, the longest one has to be <laughs> 10 pages, maybe. It's um, very, very quick read. It's a great um, c- 
commute book because you can read it in short short bursts and not really feel torn away when it's when it's time to close the book up and um it has just the right amount of of the author's take on things in terms of like personal recollections and personal history so you feel that connection but also what it serves to do is is remind you of your own personal connections to the music like thinking about where you were in the backseat of a car when something came on the radio or with what friend or family member were you were you at the mall when you were little and you stumbled upon uh the cd for revolver um also yeah speaking of the c of cds there's a chapter about how the beatles went through one of their many resurgences in 1987 which is when they released all of their albums on all of their major albums on compact disc and i remember this and it was a huge deal because cd's had basically broken through into the mainstream in a way where now more people that you knew had cd players than didn't and this was a very very big deal back then and for the beatles to become a part of it and sort of like stamped this approval on the comp- compact disc technology and as Rob Sheffield notes they did it in a very smart business way by not dumping all of the um, releases on one day, but rather um, scattering them. And they would do four albums in a day. And I think this happened. There were three di- three different major release dates throughout um, throughout 1987. And if I recall, the peg of it all was probably the 20th anniversary of Sgt. Pepper, which was a again sort of dominated pop culture talk um, that summer of '87. One of the things. Anyway, really enjoyed Dreaming the Beatles. A lot of very funny tidbits about Ringo, who is um, sort of quiet, of course, but very funny. Um, One joke that he said in there that I loved was, uh, I think, at a press conference or an interview. And he says that he's been reading poetry, and the interviewer asks, who his favorite poet is, and Ringo responds, Beethoven, which is classic lowbrow, highbrow um, humor from from Ringo. So I finished Dreaming the Beatles, um, had a good time with it, and I've sort of like uh, circled back to science fiction and the three-body problem trilogy. So about a month ago, I read the three-body problem for which the trilogy is named. And uh, again, it's by like Sixin Liu, uh, C-I-X-I-N-L-I-U, and Chinese author. These books were sensation in China in the aughts, and they were translated into English beginning, I think, five or so years ago. So The Dark Forest is the name of the second book in the trilogy. It goes The Three-Body Problem, The Dark Forest, and... The last book, I can't remember, it's Death is in the title, Death's End or something. Um, Anyway, again, the book takes place, the rough rough story is that humanity is awaiting um, the arrival of extraterrestrials they know are coming, and the first book has to do with sort of like the discovery of the whole story, and the second book is moving things along very much in a middle segment of a trilogy the way that does so my friend Gabe uh, my old bandmate from 
Taka Taka and Gabriel and the Hounds and lots of other things. He's a science fiction. I, I think he's a science fiction expert. He's been into it for as long as I've known him. And he seems to have read <laughs> everything, or at least tried everything. He's very good at um, starting things, and if he doesn't, if it doesn't engage him, he'll he'll stop, which I can never do because I have to find out the end of things. But so he. I, I say this not to say that he stops reading things, but that he just has sampled <laughs> just about. He has a large sample size of science fiction. Um, so he told me last night he loved the three-body problem, which I knew, but it, he started The Dark Forest and didn't finish it. He said he got 100 pages in, which is where I am now, actually. But um, it's like, how do you, how do you stop? <laughs> it's such a great story. Um, even if this book isn't as artistically an, an artistic achievement as the first book, the first book was so beautiful um, and poetic because it really, like, well, you know, it, it, the first book has an advantage because you, the reader, don't know anything about this, so you're discovering things um, at the control of the author. The author is sort of allowing you to see things as the author desires and presenting it in just really clever, um, <clears throat> excuse me, unique ways and... Uh, the second book so far seems to be just kind of a straight <laughs> straight exposition story. Like, here's the continuation of the story. And I like it, but I, I see Gabe's point that the, f- the first book, The Three-Body Problem itself, is you know, it's just a work of art, just so gorgeously done. Um, suffers a little bit from the sci-fi-ish problem of just having to explain <laughs> concepts that aren't um, second nature to the reader, but... The first book is it's just done so so artfully. Um, the second book is great too, but mostly I find I'm enjoying it just because I I want I love this story and I'm being swept along with the story. But anyway, highly recommend the Three Body Problem, and so far I recommend the Dark Forest. <clears throat> Probably going to take me at least another week or so to to read it. It's, I've got I've got about 400 pages left. Um, Certainly not dreaming the Beatles. It's not four <laughs> digestible four-page chapters that are scattered throughout. It is one very long story. It actually has fewer chapter breaks than the first book. It's, um, it's like on the road. It just kind of s- starts and it doesn't stop. Um, yeah, I guess I just compared the Dark Forest to Jack Kerouac. Not, <laughs> it's not really a good comparison, but. Anyway, so we'll move on to, uh, that's books for the week. Uh, I guess it'll be more Dark Forest chatter next week. Um, But anyway, moving on to music. Uh, So I saw two great shows this week. Um, On Wednesday night, I went to um, Three's Brewing, my sort of like my spot um, in Gowanus, and I saw my friends play, so... My friends um, Annie, Nero, and Ray Rizzo um, two years ago started a monthly rotating, a curated rotating musical cast series called Three Ring Bender. I get to play with them often. I've done like a lot of shows with them, and um, each month there's a theme, or they're co- they're, they'll cover an album, and they covered an album this month, and it was. Um, it's the David Crosby solo record. If I only, if I could, oh, well, let's see what is it. Um, if I could only remember my name, and um, 
this album is a blind spot for me. I, I, I know it exists and I know it's, you know, a, a quote unquote good record and a capital I important record, but I've never gotten around to it. And I know there's a lot of like Grateful Dead fingerprints on this, like members of the, of the dead are on this. Um, anyway, I was blown away by the show. I just thought that they, they did, the band did such a good job. Um, conveying emotion, and even though I wasn't familiar with the source material, I knew they had to be nailing it in some way. Um, probably uh, sonically, I'm guessing, but but definitely emotionally, they, they were making an emotional connection with me, and I could tell the audience uh, very much was engaged. So, a second or third song is this song called "Cowboy Movie," and it goes on for ten minutes. And I know that because it was so good that I decided to take a video. So. I and they, if they wanted it, could have some sort of document. And I just, I'm taking the video and I couldn't, of course, move the whole time. And I looked down and by the time it ended, it was like over nine minutes I'd taken this video. But it's very, this particular song, Cowboy Movie, the guitar part at least is, is very late 60s Neil Young. That that guitar sound, that, that distorted thing and the rhythm is um kind of like you hold a chord for for um like uh, let's say I'm counting it out in my head like a, a bar or so and then it moves on to another chord that you strum for a bar or so and then back to the first chord it's that down by the river type vibe where it can go on forever and Ray was acting as I guess David Crosby and just didn't hold back really performs like a preacher almost screaming out the words and acting out the story song of it great job just fantastic and um the band is <clears throat> Ray, who's singing in this time, Annie Nero on bass, and um, Josh Kaufman um, on guitar. Josh uh, from um, Bob Weir, Josh Ritter, The National, Craig Finn, Hold Steady. I've played with Josh on a bunch of things with um, on Day of the Dead, our Grateful Dead tribute on 480 and with The National, and he just has this searing tone it was great he was soloing like it was like hearing neil young almost even though i don't think neil plays on the record but i'm just trying to convey the the sonics of it um david nagler on guitar stephanie sanders on keyboards and steve shelley from sonic youth was the drummer and it was great to see steve shelley because it's always exciting to see you know kind of a big name like that in in a tiny room but um but uh also, like if you've listened to enough Sonic Youth or you've seen them in, in concert or on television perform, you know, it's like watching Steve Shelley play this David Crosby record with my friends in this room that I've played a million times. And watching Steve Shelley play is like, wow, he's really Steve Shelley in the sense that like, that's what he drums like. I've seen him do this, like just sort of <clears throat> his own drum style with so many different types of music. And it was really cool to see. So... Um, that was Wednesday night. That was the first of my two great shows this week. And um, the second was last night on Thursday, October 11th. Um, the reason why I am doing this in the morning and not usually on my usual Thursday night is because I went to see Bonnie Prince Billy at the Murmur Theater in Prospect Heights. Bonnie Prince Billy, a.k.a. Will Oldham. Um, <clears throat> so this show, my friend Josh Stileman from, from Three's Brewing had an extra ticket. I was excited to take it, um, and I brought along the aforementioned Gabe, um, 
<clears throat> former bandmate and sci-fi expert, and uh, had a lot of friends at this place. Ran into um, a friend Matt Frampton from Alice Obscura, uh, my you know, my cohorts Pete and Kara from here in the neighborhood. Um, Josh, who got me the ticket, his friend Andy Weissman, uh, our friend Justin, uh, Josh's partner at Threes, and and we and Gabe and I ran into our old bandmate JP, which was pretty pretty surprising and pretty uh, fun to see. So anyway, so the Murmur Theater, if you haven't been, is on Eastern Parkway at the edge of Prospect Heights, and it faces the side of the Brooklyn Public Library there on Grand Army Plaza, and it's an old synagogue. And um, it's like several floors to this place and several venues. I think Grant Lee Phillips was playing upstairs. I thought I saw a sign, and there was definitely a second venue up there. <clears throat> Excuse me, a smaller room. But the Murmur Theater itself has these beautiful stained glass windows. Um, and it's just got that wooden old theater, almost auditorium feel. And the la- the back row and the floor, it's seated with a sign seat. is a P. Cause I know because we had P and then we were able to take advantage of our friend's extra tickets and we moved up to L, which made a big difference, four rows. But... um. So it had, it's P, I guess that's what, 15 rows? Um, and uh, is that right? Anyway, it seemed farther back. Um, but beautiful room, great sounding, I thought, or fine enough. Certainly wasn't bad sounding. And Will Odom just was amazing. So if you know anything about his career, you know that he just always is doing different things, like exploring different genres, um, different instrumentation, different types of bands, and often will take his songs, his, you know, sort of catalog and recast them and reimagine them. So that's what he did last night. His, um, the band was, uh, had a drummer, had Will on guitar sometimes. And then if you're looking at the stage on the left, which would be stage right, but on the left, if you're looking is, um, there was a musical director and he played saxophone and uh also like a kind of like marimba type thing and a glockenspiel there was a trombonist and then there was a tuba or sousaphone player i'm not sure which because it's, it was hard to see and also i'm not I'm not expert but he was at the back but i think it was a sousaphone actually <clears throat> cross over the drummer who's in the middle and to the other side if you're looking at the stage on the right which would be stage left was a violin player a double bass player um, double bass meaning those big big basses stand on the floor that you stand up and play and um, a cellist so it was strings and then woodwind slash brass and Will Oldham's voice and the drums and I would call this transcendent utterly transcendent just a beautiful show um, he did some songs from like I can't remember the names of the songs right now but just stuff from, I think, um, uh, The Letting Go, that record. Uh, Wolf Roy Goes to Town from like six years ago. He did I See a Darkness, which is sort of become, that's his like big hit. Um, so he did I See a Darkness. Um, he did Black, Ohio River Boat Song, uh, which is the old Scottish song that he sort of redid and reimagined his Ohio River Boat Song way back when he was Palace Music. Um, my favorite version of that song is actually the um, 
Bonnie Prince Billy sings Greatest Palace music, the sort of syrupy, um, all studioed out country covers record he did in 2004. <laughs> it's like country covers of his own earlier material. But anyway, so Ohio River Boat Song and Black Captain were the highlights for me. Just just incredible. And, and I took full video of Black Captain and Ohio River Boat Song basically because I just, I wanted, um, I wanted a record of, of the way he was doing, of these arrangements. I wanted to be able to just listen to them again. And, you know, it isn't like going to see Bruno Mars where you don't have to take iPhone video because 10,000 other people are doing it. It'll be on YouTube in 10 seconds. Um, this is the type of thing where like, I don't think anyone else is doing a recording this whole song and I want this so I can actually go back and hear how he did it. So anyway, um, Will is amazing. It was my first time seeing Will Oldham slash Bonnie Prince Billy perform. I've performed with him, but I've never seen him. So he was part of our Day of the Dead thing a couple of years ago. And um, so I got to record with him. And then he also came and sang um, a few songs at our one and only Day of the Dead concert we ever did, which was at Eau Claire's, the Eau Claire's Festival um, in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, two years ago. And Will is just, I'd say he's probably my favorite singer. His voice is so strong and pure and just like comes from like the mountains, but just like <laughs> the otherworldly mountains. Um, just a voice that is so unique um, and has such character to it. When for, for this, for our Day of the Dead thing, he, uh, he, we, for a lot of the artists, we suggested songs and they would pick one out of the suggestions. Um, but a few artists picked their own and Will was one of them. And he picked, um, Ruben and Charisse, which is this deep cut fan favorite, like cult classic song, technically by the Jerry Garcia band came out in the late seventies that Jerry was going to introduce into the dead's repertoire, but they only played it a few times in 1991, actually. But anyway, so it was remained a Jerry Garcia band song really. And that's the song we all wanted to play. And it's a bouncy, pretty Calypso influenced new Orleans set story song. Um, sort of the legend of Orpheus, I think is, um, what it's based on. But so we'll sing it. So we're, when we were recording it that day and three, four years ago, um, up at Dreamland Studios, which is an old church in Woodstock, uh, on like Route 28. And uh, so we have the band set up and we're going to do some live takes, full band takes. And obviously I've got my headphones on and we're about to start and we, we, we go into the take and Will is there singing. And when he starts singing, I just, his voice came through so beautifully, like, loud and present in my headphones while we're playing the song and i'm sitting there listening to will oldham sing live while i'm playing along um in this recording session and i don't think i've ever enjoyed hearing someone's voice more on recording or live than i did during the half an hour or so that we we did five run-throughs of ruben and charise and he sang it different every time and he had all these clever creative little dips and twists on the melody um ins and outs of um ending and like the phrasing of of words and i mean he's a genius and 
during the breaks when he wasn't singing like the breaks in the song like the solos or you know just little transitions there's no solos there but um transitions he would sort of step up and do his classic will Oldham stances and just sort of like like he was performing but i think he's just getting into it um so we did yeah i think five takes and personally there was a take in there which i think was way better than the one we actually used they're all great but i i particularly liked the phrasing he did in the one and and one of the takes like take three or something that we didn't use um but yeah will oldham is just i mean i think he is probably my favorite male singer i can't think of who i haven't thought too much about my favorite singers in general but just what what a voice i'm just it's i'm on a cloud listening to his voice and we also did that for that day of the dead recording we also did bird song with him and he did uh if if i had the world to give which is a very not well-known dead song that the dead only played three times but he sang it with um josh kaufman who played piano and it was done very much in a piano and voice and i mean just really beautiful anyway um so I've been thinking about Will Oldham for the last 24 hours because as soon as I knew I was going, I just spent, um, I listened to Bonnie Prince Billy all yesterday and I went to this show and I went to bed thinking about it and I woke up thinking about it and now I'm talking to you about it, but I think I'll end up listening to, uh, Will Oldham a lot over the next week. Oh, and, uh, when we, when I got, when we played with him in Wisconsin a couple years ago, a great, great show. And it was a couple of fantastic i would say will oldemisms one is that uh during this two-hour set we did of dead songs you know those rotating singers that would come on for two or three songs and will was scheduled to be sort of in the middle of the show and unbeknownst to me because we were playing but i learned after the show that they almost canceled his three songs because no one could find him he wasn't backstage he wasn't on the stage he wasn't side stage um he wasn't you know back in the little artist area and then during the song right before he was supposed to come on he just appeared apparently and it turns out he was on the side of the stage the whole time probably closest to the band more than anyone and he was just lying down on on his back on the floor behind an amplifier staring at staring up and just listening and as soon as he knew, he knew he knew exactly when his time was coming, and right before he stood up and presented himself and said, "You know, ready to go." Um, so I love that story about him. And then the second little story is the next morning after the festival on the Sunday morning, and everyone's going home. I was waiting outside the hotel lobby door um, with you know brought down my bags, checked out, waiting for uh, my sort of colleagues to appear, and we were all going to take a van back to the airport and. Will comes out and he is just by himself, has his bags and he was just going to leave and walk down the block to his car and drive back to Kentucky. And he just looks at me, he goes, Hey, and I said, Hey, we had not really spoken over (laughs) at rehearsal or during the show. And so we were speaking for the first time. And I, I, he said, I said, man, that was, your singing was incredible. And he said, yeah, it was great to play with you. You know, we're just doing this nice little small talk. And I'd say we talked for about two minutes. Um, I didn't want it to get awkward. I almost, I kind of cut it off. Um, so we say our goodbyes and he starts walking away from me and he's walking down the block. And I said, I just called out after him. I said, see you down the road sometimes. And he pauses. 
He doesn't turn around and he holds up his right arm and makes an index finger pointing and he sort of points off to the right and he nods his head and without looking back, he says, see you down the road sometime. And then he keeps walking and he walked around the corner. So (laughs) it's like a movies, just naturally artistic. And, um, yeah, I think he's awesome. Very much admire Will Oldham. And yeah, did you know, um, he took the photograph on the cover of the Slint album, Spiderland, the classic Spiderland album from 1991 or whatever. It's like Will Oldham sort of has had his fingers in so many incredible things over the past 25, 30 years. Anyway, enough about Will Oldham for now. Um, I'm kind of running out of time here. I wanted to talk about the New York City Ferry. Maybe I'll save that for next week. Um, but just a quick overview. The New York City Ferry has launched a couple years ago, and it's like this collection of ferry lines, these small little boats, small little white boats with blue trim that truck up and down the East River, essentially. And there's several routes, and they, they build all these stations. And um, I, obviously, I guess they wanted to be a commuter uh, vessel, and I, I'm sure they also, there's a tourist factor involved because... I don't think they make money off it. They only charge two seventy five, and the boats aren't packed ex- except maybe on the weekends when the tourists use it and when myself and Oliver go and use it. But we're, we're big fans, and we go almost at least every other weekend we're on the ferries. And, and Oliver and I have both gotten to know very well all of the transfer points, the different lines. Um, I guess next week we'll do a more in-depth in New York City ferry um, inspection and discussion. Um. Yeah, okay, speaking of Oliver, uh, he had a good week going to school. He very he was mostly in a good mood leaving the house and mostly in a good mood walking to school. Only a couple times did he just sort of defiantly stop walking and I would look back and he was four houses back, you know, giving me that stare down and then I'd have to say, "Come on." Um and he'd just finally run along. The way I can get him to start running is when I start to when I yell out as if I was an announcer. I say, "Daddy takes the lead," and that gets him. That riles up his sense of, I guess, competition, and he laughs and he starts running by me. So that's sort of how I trick him into into getting going when he when he's sort of just st- stopped walk, stopped moving. Um, so yeah, we were not late at all this week. Um, not even like mildly late. We were right on time, if not early. I would wait with him until his teacher showed up in the auditorium. So he had a good week walking to school. I think he had a good week um, in general. Um, beer. Let's see. So actually had a lot of beer. Let me quickly go through this. Had a lot of good beer this week. Unique beer. So since I was at Three's Brewing Wednesday, of course, they have incredible beer. Um, let me pull up. What did I have this week? Let me pull up these notes. Um, I have it on this app, Untapped. Do I want to rate you? Um, maybe later, not now. Um, what did I have? So last night I had um, a uh, this crazy Innerboro brewing beer, Innerboro's in Bushwick, this like fruit beer, and I wanted to try it because sometimes I like fruit beers, but it was the fruitiest beer I've ever had in my life. It was overwhelming. So it was like almost this grapefruit beer, um, more grapefruit juice than beer. But anyway, what was it called? Um, La- uh, yeah, because I was kept thinking of the Smith's song, Smith's album, but it was like, it's called Louder Than a Fruit Bomb. Um which my friend Josh like jokingly said, what was it called? Don't call it a fruit bomb. Um, 
So I guess it was a hip hop reference. He said the Interborough people are um, hip hop fans. So I guess it was a, maybe it was a public enemy reference louder than a bomb. But anyway, I had that. Um, let's see. I had a Chris, crispy little by Suarez family. I love Suarez family. And then, um, on Wednesday night, I had Far Between, which is a uh, fest beer, B-I-E-R type. And basically what it means, it's like a dark lager, an Oktoberfest type beer. So it's, it's, it's that time of year, Oktoberfest beer. So it's really good. And then I had a tiny stout. Um, I had a sip of um, a stout from Threes on Wednesday night. And I can't remember the name of it right now, but it was one of those, like, it's a 10% stout that you, they only serve in small glasses. Um, and my friend Josh got one who he's one of the partners at threes and we just shared it between four of us, this tiny little taster glass. And it's just what a full, rich, um, dark beer. It's the type of beer I never really think to have because I just want a regular beer, so to speak. Um, but it's a reminder that I need to buy smaller glasses and try these like crazy beers. I always get scared off by high, high alcohol percentages because I just think I'm going to get, you know, get like, it's going to, I'm going to become tipsy right away. But, um, yeah, the trick is to like even share one with a friend and just like have a few sips. It's just so nice. Like having port or scotch or something. Um, anyway, so I was recording these beers in this untapped app, which is a beer tracker. And he just laughed at me and he's like, look at you, you're on untapped. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, you are a beer nerd. And just kind of like turned around. I was like, I guess so. Um, I guess I am, which is fun to track. Obviously I like logging things in my life. Um, so that's it. 33 minutes. Ah, I thought I'd do it a little quicker this week. Anyway, well, that's week. Uh, that's this week. Saw two great shows, had a couple of good beers, finished the Beatles book, moving on to the science fiction book. I'm going to be in this world for the next week or two. Um, guess that's it. Let me get some outro music going and, um, happy, happy, well, happy Friday for me. Cause it's Friday today. Whenever you're listening, happy, whatever day it is for you. And, um, see you next week on the Conrad life report. <laughs>